0: Hey, I'm Jacob Rasmussen. I have the awesome privilege of getting to be on staff here at Next, and can I just say welcome? Like, I've met a handful of you over the last couple weeks who have just come here for the first time, and I am just so glad that you're here, and I just want you to hear that you're loved and that you're cared for. Come on. Come on. And hey, um, I'm just really excited to have another opportunity to get up here and open God's word with you, and like, these are the types of moments in my life that I really look forward to and I long for, and... My prayer and my hope is that you wouldn't just hear from me tonight, but that you would hear from God. That you wouldn't hear all the words coming out of my mouth, but that you would actually hear God's word through his scriptures and through the truth that we're about to dive into. And ultimately that you would get a glimpse of who he is and that that would stir your heart for him and that you would fall deeper in love with Jesus than when you first walked in these doors tonight. To get into it, I want to bring you guys back with me to a specific moment in my life as a high schooler, all right? So we're going to go back to junior year of Jacob Rasmussen's high school career, all right? I was standing in the student section, Chan high school football, Friday night lights, themed out, chanting all the same chants. You guys can get the picture, right? Exactly. And in that moment, during that game, right, I'm chanting, I'm, I'm pretty hype, but, but it slowly started to die down. My hype started to die down. I was kind of just standing there, and I had this realization, I didn't want to just be some random student in the crowd. I no longer wanted to simply chant and praise and watch all these other people out on the field and in the spotlight. I realized right then that what I really craved was to be out there on the field in the spotlight myself rather than in the stands. By that time, I'd already fallen in love with the game of football like, I, I almost went out for it freshman year. I was working out with the team and everything, and um, what happened was, was all my friends at the time were playing soccer, and I was a goalie at, previously, and so I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to keep, keep going with that. But that night, junior year, I resolved that I would quit soccer, that I would go out for football, the game that I loved, the spotlight that I craved, and I would get my chance before I graduated the next year my hunch is that for a lot of you, you can relate to that story in some way. I don't know if it's football or even a sport, but you've had that moment of, re- of realization where you decided, I'm going to do whatever it takes to gain the spotlight, to gain the approval. I don't know what it is for you, but I think we all go there. And truthfully, our generation craves it. We want recognition. We want praise. We want to be seen and admired. But chances are that resolution to pursue the spotlight hasn't accomplished what you thought it would, at least not yet. It didn't work out for me how I thought it would either, right? I wanted the spotlight, but I lacked the years of training and patience and consistency that it takes to get there. Tonight's message is called Winning in the Spotlight. And what I'm going to be focus on, focusing in on on this message is the ironic practicality of obedience in the Christian life. And that really, winning in high school looks a lot like learning and committing to obedience right now where you're at. And here's why this is important for you. We rarely ever talk about the victory that comes from a, a long obedience in the same consistent direction to Christ. We rarely talk about the long obedience patient, obedient, obedience to Christ and the victory that comes from it. Our youth culture is consumed with instant satisfaction and social influence, which leads us to miss out on the sweetness of what Jesus calls life to the fullest. Personally, I wasn't very obedient in my time in high school as a follower of Christ. It wasn't very long, but I wasn't also very obedient, and it deeply hurt me. Like, I want you guys to hear Disobedience to Christ is is painful, whether you see it right now or not. And it also hurt a lot of other people around me. Jesus is more powerful than those things, and and his redemption is greater, uh, absolutely. But I don't think that that has to be true for you. If you want to win and thrive in high school, start with obedience to Christ, because that is where true victory is found. We're going to unpack this more as we continue studying the book of Philippians. Zane kicked us off last week with an incredible message from Philippians 1. And this week, we're going to flip to page page 2, chapter 2 of Philippians. Um, so go ahead, mark that in your Bible, mark that on your phone, do whatever you got to do to go there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, please don't hesitate to come up and ask me or Laura. Uh, we would love to get you a Bible, absolutely. Uh, but now Philippians. Philippians is a book, uh, rather it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul was in prison while he was writing this letter to the church in Philippi. So it's not an ideal situation, but it's a powerful one, at least to be writing about the things that are contained in this letter. Uh, See, the main encouragement he was writing was for the readers to continue living as citizens of heaven, which was evidenced by living in a way that resembles the life of Jesus. And in chapter 2, there's a heavy focus on obedience. And now some of you, if you're like me, you hear, that, you hear that word obedience and you kind of cringe a little bit. Right? Like our culture has taught us to resist any form of authority that's outside of self. And in many respects, they've considered that type of authority outside of self to be oppressive or even evil. But obedience to Christ is so much more different. Uh, than what those experiences give you and me. Because obedience to Christ is beautiful, and it's world-changing, and it's worth it. So let's take a look. Find that spot that you marked in Philippians 2. We're going to be jumping into verse 14. All right. It says, do everything, do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked crooked, crooked, crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Okay, so who else read that first line and thought, man, Paul must be crazy. Do everything without grumbling and complaining? I'm like, Paul, have you met Gen Z? Have you met me on a Sunday when Kirko Chains is not playing great? No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the answer is no. Paul has not seen that because we we always have something to complain about right like we can hardly go an hour without grumbling or complaining about someone or something but but what is this text really saying about obedience because on the surface it looks more like a command that we ought not to complain about our circumstances and whatever it might be like that there's an applicable truth there but what's actually happening here is that paul uses the same language that we see throughout the Old Testament narrative, right? This is a New Testament letter post-Jesus, but he's using the same language of the Old Testament narrative. Grumbling or complaining or arguing is a common phrase that described the Israelites' attitude towards God as they wandered through the wilderness. I was just reading Exodus last week, and this popped up countless times uh, as I read. And seniors in the room, you guys can relate. You guys are reading Exodus, or you did last week, Um, if you're in Foundations, so hopefully this is fresh in your mind. Exodus 16, we see that the Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. God split the Red Sea so that they could walk through and take them out of the land that they were captive in. And yet on the other side of that, we see them grumbling and complaining. Verses 2 and 3, it says, "...the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness." The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. In other words, we had it good back when we were slaves. What God set us free so that we could just die of hunger out here. And so they grumbled against Moses, they grumbled against God. Rather than trusting that the one who just split the sea and set them free would actually just provide something as simple as food for them. And yet despite their complaint and their distrust, God provided. God provided. He sent bread from heaven. A miraculous and powerful work of the perfect father and the God of Israel. And I think that in that, he showed Israel why he was worthy of their obedience. And so for you how are you going to win at high school? The first thing I see is that you must know the object of your obedience. You must know the object of your obedience. Verses 14 and 15 say, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. You see, friends, everyone is obedient to something. I've been obedient to materialism. I've been obedient to sin. I might be even obedient to an ideology. Maybe you're obedient to a person or to a thing or to a sport or to a dream for your life. Whatever it is, who or what we obey says a lot about our lives, whether we intend for them to or not. And in a lot of ways, I see that our youth culture Wants to obey the narratives that dominate our world and our social medias and our ideas. And because of that, so many people and companies and worldly things are reaching out for your obedience. And so I think that it is important that our first step tonight is identifying and knowing where our obedience lies. Maybe you identify with something that I've already shared. uh, But process it in your own heart and process it in your small group whether your obedience lies in the right place. Paul in this passage is teaching us to live obediently to Christ. And in the middle, middle part of verse 15 he describes it as living as children of God. And here's what's true. God loves his children. 100% full stop he proved it on the cross to the fullest extent God loves his children. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and if you've turned to Him, you are 100% a redeemed child of God. But yet, no matter who you are in this room, if you are a believer or you're not a believer or you're not really sure, you have a connotation and an understanding of what it means to be a child to some form of a father or some form of a mother. And so, in that, you've experienced the feeling of obedience the instinct that we need to follow and trust a certain person. And that's a good thing, and it's a gift from God. Like we were created to obey our parents, but yet in this broken world where sin still exists, we're sure to be let down by our parents or anyone for that matter, and we'll distort that obedience and bend it toward the wrong thing. So our ultimate obedience at the end of the day must be to the one who will never let down his children, the one who will never twist our obedience in the wrong direction. And that's God. And in order to obey him, we must also know him. See, the good news is that he's made himself known. For generations upon generations, God has revealed himself. Hebrews 11 is a text that is referred to as the hall of faith. It's literally a list of, an account of all these different people throughout the Old Testament who knew God intimately and, and trusted in his promises and had faith in him. And ultimately, because of that, they were obedient to him. And after, after walking through numerous examples, the writer of Hebrews closes out the passage with this. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them has received all that God has promised. For God had something better in mind for us, verse 40, so that they would not reach perfection without us. The good news, friends, is that we've received what God has promised. All of these obedient people knew God intimately and trusted that his promises were true, but yet they could not see clearly his redemption that came on the cross. Don't miss the privilege that we have of being able to look back 2,000 years and see Jesus clearly. We can see the redemption And he's revealed himself in that. But also we have such incredible accessibility to God's written word, which is where God most clearly reveals himself to us today. Like it is his word, his voice. And when we read it, we can know that the God who breathed each word on that page is trustworthy, that his his promises are good and that he's faithful. And I'm a guy who always has those moments of, just really wanting to hear the voice of God. I don't know if you guys ever feel that way, but you get in that silent place and you're like, Lord, could you just like scream or something or just like talk out loud or show up in front of me? And like that's, that's kind of how my mind works, right? Prayer is, is hard. Um, but when I get into those moments, something that I'll do is I'll either just sit in silence and listen. Listen for those impressions on my heart. Or I'll read the Bible out loud. Because that is his voice. You want to hear God's voice? Read the Bible out loud. That's his word. And because of that, we can know that he is trustworthy, that he's a perfect father, and that he is worthy of our obedience. We can obey what he says without grumbling and complaining. Because, see, friends, we don't have to be like the Israelites. I believe that. Like That's something I pray for often is that I don't want to be like them I don't want to see the faithfulness and power of God and then just fall into disobedience but Lord knows I will at times but my object of obedience does not change and I hope that that becomes true for you because the object of your obedience will determine a lot about your life so obey God and live into the victory that is waiting for you don't grumble don't complain about what he's asking you to do And now I know that that was a lot. It's a lot of scripture. A lot just happened. Take a breather. Stay with me. Let's keep checking in on Philippians 2. Go back to your Bible, Philippians 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. My second point tonight is that to win in high school, you must stand out by what you stand on. That you must stand out by what you stand on. The thing about obedience to Christ is that it will make you look different than the rest of the world. It will make you look different than the rest of the world. And that's actually a good thing. You see, this message is called Winning in the Spotlight. And really, I think this is what the spotlight is for the Christian in high school. Not to literally have a spotlight on you, or even to be remotely popular or influential, but rather to stand on the gospel unashamedly in the face of a post-Christian culture. You see, I think it's funny that so many of us young people are chasing that social influence and the worldly spotlight, because really what it is, hey boys... Come on now. Let's get up here, all right? We chase the worldly spotlight, but yet it's funny because nothing about that is unique. What it really is is just asking to be like everyone else. We see the ones holding the biggest spotlight and we try to emulate them in order to gain some of what they have. We want to be the next Emma Chamberlain's and we want to be the next Justin Bieber's and we want to be the... Next, whatever it is. I don't know. When I was in high school, it was a vlogger. So apply whatever it is for you. You see, the world, I think this is important. The world just wants to look like the world. But the Christian gets to try and be more like Jesus. Jesus, the most unique and distinct person to ever exist. The most beautiful, the most gracious, the most loving, and at times the most controversial. In fact, this man named Jesus altered history forever. So if you want to stand out, stand on the foundation that Christ has laid. Stand on his word. Jesus literally prayed for you about that. He prays in John 17, John 17, 17 for all believers. He says, Father, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And so if Jesus prayed that you would obey his word, that you would be made holy by it and look different, then I don't want you to hesitate I want you to start now. I want you to start tonight. I want you to do it tomorrow. I want you to fulfill that prayer. Be holy, be different. Stand on the truth. You see, when people ask me about high school, I always say that one of my regrets was not being different than my friends and just going out for for football freshman year. Like, I really wish I would have done that. Not... You know, starting, not starting in freshman year had consequences, right? I wanted the ball. I was a receiver. I hadn't spent the years of training that it took to develop the skills and build the trust. And so when I went after the immediate glory and the Friday night spotlight, I ended up just being left feeling like, man, I wish I would have started sooner. And this relates to this conversation tonight because what you do tomorrow impacts more than just a moment. Deciding to stand on Jesus now will always indicate more about where you'll stand next year and the year after that and when you go to college or wherever you end up. So stand out. Stand on the truth of Christ. This is the season to start shining like a light in the darkened world that we live in. And if if you are sitting here and feeling like you've missed out, maybe you're a junior or a senior and you see the clock Winding down, like, I don't want you to feel any shame. That's not what I want. That's the enemy. Because I always wish I would have done more for the kingdom of God when I was in high school. I live with six incredible Jesus-loving roommates. And, man, we wish that the impact we can make now we would have leveraged in high school. And that's the toughest thing is that I think about the friends that I had that were around me who still live in the hopelessness apart from Jesus. Nothing's a lost cause in the kingdom of God. Like, just because I didn't make that impact doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Like, but why not leverage that moment? Why not leverage this moment? Just like my experience with football, you can still go out and do it while you have the chance in this season. Even though I didn't make the impact that I wanted to on the field, I cherished those moments on the football team because I knew in confidence that I stepped out in boldness to do something that I loved and that I worked hard for and that I contributed all I had to make that team better. And you can have that same reality with your faith. Step out in boldness while you're still walking those halls or while you're still in the season of high school because you all have God-given influence, even with just one person, and that person Is worth it. And friends, I just feel like I have to stop and say that following Jesus in high school is glorious. When my sister graduated this summer and she was moving to college, I just stopped and I looked at her and I said, Following Jesus in college is glorious. And that's true and it's incredible. But I actually know that high school is just such a unique season to leverage your life for the kingdom in this place before you all go out and do whatever is out there. I just want you guys to remember that following Jesus in high school is glorious. Don't lose sight of that. And I I think the Apostle Paul would agree. He closes out the passage like this. Verses 16 through 18, Philippians 2, it says, Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. My last point tonight is that if you want to win in high school, then win as the spotlight. This message is called Winning in the Spotlight. But I think that this passage really reveals to us that we can win as the spotlight. This means that everything about us, the spotlight of our lives, are pointing back to Christ and Christ alone. Every moment, every victory, every circumstance is an opportunity to magnify the name of Jesus and bring glory to God. As Paul puts it, even if his, even if his life gets poured out like an offering, He will rejoice because it is to the glory of God that he lives or dies. Friends, I don't even know who needs to hear this right now, but I just want you to be encouraged by Paul's faith. This isn't in my notes, but I just think someone in here just needs to be encouraged. Paul is writing this out of a prison cell. And he's writing to this church that he loved, Philippi. It's the first church he planted in Europe. He loves these brothers and sisters. And he's contending with them to share in the joy of following Jesus. I don't know who's in here and needs to hear that. But Paul is in a prison cell. Talking about the joy of Christ. That whether he lives or dies, it is to the glory of God. There was no pursuit of a worldly spotlight. Because Paul knew and the Philippians knew that ultimately the spotlight is not for us. We can't handle it. We aren't worthy of praise and glory. Christine Kane, she's a well-known preacher, she said, If the light shining on you is brighter than the light shining in you, the light on you will destroy you. That is a word for us. We must learn to win as the spotlight. And friends, I don't know about you, but I want to live in that confidence. I want to live with that purpose, and I want to live with this mission in my heart, and it's possible. This kind of obedience is evidence of our love for Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. It's possible as we fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And if you love Christ, you obey Christ. And if you obey Christ, you love him. It's not super complex. There's no secret sauce to being obedient, but simply love him and listen to him. Open his word and trust it. If it says to do something, trust that to do it is better. And if you still feel like you're missing it, if you still if you still feel like you're missing this whole idea of loving Jesus, of being obedient to Jesus, I want to finish this point by pointing pointing you to a passage which comes earlier in this chapter. It's one of my favorite passages. Starting in verse 5 in Philippians 2. It says, "Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited." Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in verse 12, it says, therefore, my dear friends, therefore, because of everything we just heard, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to desire and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it points to just the absolute beauty and perfection in obedience of Jesus, and that he would be obedient to God to the point of death on a cross. And because he suffered death for all of us, he was crowned with glory and honor, and he was given the name that is above every name. He gets the spotlight. And it is God who is now working in us to desire him and to work for his purpose. There is an effort in our spiritual progress that we, that we must have. But it is God who is working in us unto that progress. And the simple call is to obey. This is the most full and victorious life. And tomorrow, tomorrow next high school, that is how you win and thrive in high school. To obey. To wrap up the night, I just want to give you a couple of practicals one practical application and one question, and uh, we're going to move into a time of response. And so, worship team, you guys can make your way back up. First, I would just encourage you to take a step into a life of obedience, even tonight, by looking at your life and assessing your habits. Maybe you watch a little too much YouTube or Maybe you scroll too long on Instagram. If that's you, I feel you. But practically, what you can do is you can replace these habits with obedient practices or grace practices. Practices are things that take time, things that take diligence, and things that take training, but they're also so life-giving in the process. For example, maybe you memorize a verse. You memorize two verses a week, that's 100 in a year. You just pause, you pick one out, you go over it a few times, you allow it to move you and you memorize it. Maybe you take a few minutes to just sit in silence and simply pray and listen for God to impress something on your heart. There are so many practices of the way of Jesus that would be great for replacing some of those other habits, but whatever you choose to do or decide to do, I I just pray that it would transform your life. And secondly, I want to leave you with a question. A question that if I'm being honest, I've struggled with a lot lately, just on my own time. And the question is, what if everything about your life changed? What if it all changed completely overnight? Would you be confident enough in your relationship to Jesus? Would you receive that change without grumbling? Would you be shaken in what you believe to be true? Would you still magnify his glory rather than desperately searching to repair your own? What if everything changed tomorrow? Would you be obedient? Jesus, I thank you that you were the perfect, obedient son. All throughout the book of Hebrews, God, it it talks about how you are more excellent. And you're more excellent in every way. And God, I just pray on behalf of all the students in this room, God, that we would love you more that we would see that you're more beautiful than this world, that your kingdom is more beautiful than the kingdoms of this world, Jesus, and would we obey you as a perfect father? We have so many bad examples. We have a lot of good examples too, God, praise you. But you are the perfect example. Would we look to you, Jesus? I pray this on behalf of every student in this room who is so loved by you. God, we're separated from you, but you made a way because you love us so much. Would we obey you?